for the Nerdbook Review, and tonight we are going to be doing an interview with M.L. Spencer. Her book, Darkstorm, which is the book we'll be talking about here tonight, is a current semi-finalist in Spiffbo 2017, and she also had a book, Darklands, which is was a finalist for self-published fantasy for booknest.eu this year. We're going to try something a little bit different this tonight, and we're going to give you a quick overview of the book before we do the interview. This was suggested to me as something that will help with some of these with some of these Spiffbo authors to help you get a little bit of a feel for the book before we actually start. Before I do the review, I'm going to give you the usual spiel. You can reach me on Facebook at the page Nerdbook Review on Goodreads with the Nerdbook Review, on Twitter with the handle Nerdbook Review, and our email is nerdbookreview at gmail.com. If you would be so kind as to leave an iTunes review, that would be absolutely appreciated. Also, if you do enjoy the podcast go ahead and recommend us to a friend. That is always appreciated as well. So, real quick. Darkstorm is actually a prequel to the main series, and I believe it has now been switched to being called Point Five in the series. It is about a cataclysm that is about to happen. Darkstorm is a a prequel to the Renoir saga, It is about an imminent cataclysm that will destroy magical heritage of the people. Basically, think the magnetic poles reversing. In this case, magic is going to, and it's going to basically destroy everything that is magical, including people and the things that they have built. So a group of mages, they are going to attempt to stop that through a bit of a controversial method that involves basically selling the people out to a chaotic force. And the main issue is going to be the mages who agree with it and those who disagree. One thing that I think that Spencer does, I liked, but you may or may not, is that she will have a bunch of characters who are, they're definitely not just good or just evil. Um, Some of my favorite characters in the book are actually characters who are considered bad guys, but I felt like they were the the most relatable because it's understandable that you're going to try to stop uh, yourself and your entire family from being killed in a cataclysm, even if there are are some pretty serious consequences. Some of the good guys are probably some of the least, uh, my least favorite characters. So if you are the kind of person that needs a black and white character that is, uh, you know, truly good, then this isn't the book for you. But I kind of liken this in a way that she's got characters that are a lot like Mark Lawrence, where you don't necessarily like the characters, but but that's what kind of some of what makes the, the novel have the depth and nuance that it does. 
Uh, real quick, though, it's important to note that there is far less uh, language and violence uh, and sex than in a Mark Lawrence novel. So if you kind of like that kind of a character type, but you don't want quite such a uh, NC-17 book, then this is a, a good recommendation there. I think overall, I really enjoyed the book. Uh, I gave it a 4 out of 5. And I think that uh, some of the influences that she'll talk about in the, the book, in the, in the actual interview, uh, Robert Jordan and uh, Frank Herbert with Dune, you're going to see a little bit of, you can see where those influences come into play. The magic system is very developed. It has a stratified uh, system with people kind of like in the Aes Sedai are going to have, um, you know, the, the, the different colors. In this case, you're going to have different disciplines and you'll have people that are uh, running those disciplines and, and are ranked according to, you know, how powerful they are in some ways. There's two big cultures that are going to be talked about here and a third that I do feel like is a throwaway culture in this book, but I am told that will be a... Um, they'll be talked about much more in the main series. If you like a book where magic is the main focus, then this is the kind of book for you. That is something to note for sure, though, that magic is the by far main focus of this novel. Almost everybody who is a character is a or does does use magic. They're wizards, and so if. Uh, you prefer low magic, then uh, not the book for you. But if you like magic, then I think it is very well done. There's a little bit of scientific uh, reasoning behind it. Like I said, I, I just got a little bit of a, without being derivative, a Robert Jordan feel to the to the magic system. The politics are going to be dominated by these magic users as well. And I just think that the uh, the biggest strength of the book is the nu- nuance of the characters. So, I will quit rambling on, and we're going to go ahead and get you straight to the interview now. Um, if you prefer this uh, review to start off with, then uh, let me know, please. Uh, go ahead and get a hold of me on Twitter, on Facebook, um, wherever. Send me an email. All right, thank you very much. And here you are. The Nerdbook Review is happy to welcome M.L. Spencer, author of Dark Storm, Dark Mage, and Dark Lands. Dark Storm is a current semi-finalist for, for Spiffbo 2017. Dark Mage won the 2012 Indie Reader Discovery Award for Fantasy. She was also awarded first place for prose in the San Bernardino County Writing Celebration. And Dark Lands was a finalist for the self-published fantasy for BookNest.eu this year. How are you doing tonight? Hi, I'm doing very well. And thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. Thank you for coming on. So why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay, well, um, I've basically been wanting to write fantasy my whole life. And I finally have at least climbed aboard that dream. And I'm just kind of starting to drive it in some type of direction. Um, I'm really having a lot of fun doing it. Um, when I'm not writing fantasy, I teach biology. Um, I play lots of video games. And I've got three kids, two cats, two guinea pigs, one fish, and one husband. So um, it's a pretty busy life. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds like it. How long have you been teaching biology? 17 years. 
Oh, wow. Uh, how did you get into it in the first place? Did you go to the, the, just the standard teaching route? Were you a biology major in college? No, I was not, actually. Um, I was a psychology major in college with a minor in creative writing. Um, and I decided after I graduated that I did not want to go into psychology. So I decided, hmm, I guess maybe teaching sounds fun. What do I want to do? And I decided... I thought biology sounded interesting. So I went back to school for three years and studied biology and became a biology teacher. So I went the long way around. Yeah, it really sounds like it. Actually, yes. uh, I don't know if you've ever listened to any of the uh, actual reviews, but Barry, who comes on and does my sci-fi stuff, he's a biology teacher, actually. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and I actually am certified to teach social studies, but I did one year of that and thought, you know what, this isn't my thing. Yeah, teaching is not for everybody. Definitely, it is a high stress profession. Um, I'm I, I I love my kids. They keep me young, but they also um, keep me pulling my hair out from time to time. <laughs> it depends on the day of the week. I definitely have to say a thank you to you though for being willing to do that. Like I said, one year was enough for me. So. <laughs> <laughs> Understand. Do you think that your being a biology teacher has any influence on your writing? Oh, definitely. Um, it definitely helps me with world building and not just the biology part of it, but just all of the various sciences that I had to take to be a biology teacher because I also had a lot of physics classes, geology classes, um, chemistry classes, and, and kind of all that combined definitely helps a lot with world building, let me tell you. Yeah, and once we get into actually talking about the book, I can see where the, the physics especially comes into play with your magic system. Yeah, I got a lot of physics in the magic system. Yeah, do you have any hobbies outside of writing? Um, yeah, I do. Um, you can catch me on a video game from time to time. I love to play um, MMORPG video games, um, which are role-playing games like World of Warcraft, uh, stuff like that. Star Wars. <laughs> um, I also like to play music. When I was in college, I was in a gothic band and I played keyboards and uh, I still play uh, my piano from time to time. <laughs> oh man, that's pretty cool though. Did yeah, you... it was a lot of fun. What did you guys play with your gothic band? Um, we, we wrote our own stuff. We were kind of like a, just a little touring Gothic band that toured around Southern California a little bit. We, we had a very small, but laudable following. <laughs> we burned hard and we died hard. We'll just put it, leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, that is, that's awesome though. Something different, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, it was definitely a different, uh, experience. And when I was in college, I was, um, kind of in a sorority by day. And then, uh, in this Gothic band at night, I was like living a double life. <laughs> it was pretty amazing. Oh man. Uh, what sorority? I was in Pi Beta Phi. Okay. I always had to ask just cause my, my wife was a Theta and okay. I was a Kappa Sig in college. So. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I know it's something that it's funny because it kind of gets, especially with the, the news lately with two kids dying in the last week that they, they kind of get a bad rap, but I, I had a great experience. Oh, I know. Definitely. Well, I, I just really think it depends upon how the, each university runs their Greek system. Definitely. Um, you know, hazing was, was a big no, no when I went to school. Um, we really didn't have a lot of problems with it. But um, yeah, from time to time, you see it on the news. And uh, yeah, things can get kind of really bad like they did in, in Texas. 
Yeah, and I think that the size of a college matters too, or in the South in general, I think they have a little bit more, they take their fraternities and sororities a little more seriously. Oh, goodness, do they? I will never forget going down to University of Texas at Austin and seeing the Pi Phi House there. Wow, <laughs> I was just amazed. Yeah, so how did you get into writing in the first place? Um, I honestly, my earliest memories of being a little kid is writing something. I was constantly writing like little tiny books, you know, from the moment I could just set pen to paper. Um, I wrote my first like manuscript, if you want to call it that when I was about 13, wasn't anything that I would even consider publishing or wasn't very long, but it was something. Um, and I think I wrote my first novel when I, yeah, I was in college, definitely, um, getting my psychology degree and I've just kind of kept on writing ever since. Um, there really has not been a period in my life where I haven't been writing, um, maybe a little bit of a stretch about 10 years ago, but other than that, you know, it, it, it's consuming. <laughs> definitely. Were, were you always, uh, into fantasy or what, what did you write when you were younger? Fantasy. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> yeah, there's there, there's never been anything in my life um, except for fantasy. I, I think I I took a brief uh, like little sideline into horror. Read some Stephen King. Um, read a little bit of sci-fi, but um, other than that, I just am not really too interested in too much else. I will get into the occasional classic. Shakespeare is always great, but um, my love is fantasy. Yeah, I understand you there, and I, I feel like we really are in just such a golden age of fantasy. We really are. There's so much talent out there, and there's just such a selection. And um, every day, it seems like there's more talent on the scene. It's 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 pretty incredible. Yeah, and I, I think that the the explosion of of ebooks and things like that are, are really what has enabled so many people to to get into the the business and, and not having to have something that is uh, just a uh, a ripoff of of Tolkien or something like that. Yeah, definitely. And we're, what we're seeing right now is a huge um, explosion of diversity um, that you never really saw before. Um, I think with traditional publishing, uh, they're, they're, they're kind of looking for a specific kind of type of fiction. Um, you know, they want square pegs to fit into square holes. Whereas if you get into the indie press, um, you're going to see a lot more things that you wouldn't normally see in traditional publishing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I think that even yours is probably another example of that, that that probably with the like just the way the world is built and things like that, and that it's more of a, a character driven thing. I know that the, 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 the such a big event that's going to happen, but that on the specifics of the characters is probably something that, you know, would have been 20 years ago would have been harder for you to to get something like that out there. Yeah, probably. Um, I, I definitely am more character driven, I think, than you would have seen, say, 20 years ago. Um, and I think my writing style is a little bit different, too. I, I'm a real get to the point kind of author. <laughs> yeah. And um, definitely you don't see a lot of that. Um, you know, when you look at George R.R. R. Martin or, or Patrick Rothfuss, you know, for instance, um, they're a little bit more long winded than I am. Um, I, I'm kind of get in, get out. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I think that for the most part, though, a lot more of the writing is going your way as opposed to, you know, the George R. R. Martin or in, in back in the day of Robert Jordan is how I got into the epic fantasy. And he's always famous for having writing three pages about a chair that no one will end up sitting in in a room. Yes, yes, yes. Jordan is great about that. Um, 
Yeah, I think that actually Jordan is a little bit of an influence for me, too. He was definitely one of my favorite authors. And I think that a lot of my writing is influenced by Robert Jordan. And maybe particularly um, kind of the way I do do shorter paragraphs. And um, I really kind of get to the plot points a little bit faster because that was one thing I always got kind of annoyed with with Jordan. Okay, okay, I'm going to skim these three paragraphs and read some dialogue. I I finally kind of resorted to that in the middle of his series. And uh, I was... Kind of sad to admit that I did, but (laughs) there you go. Oh, I I completely understand. You know, growing up when I was a teenager, really getting into Jordan, you know, I I read every book over and over again as a new one would come out. And I definitely, over time, just started skipping things. And especially once you get into those middle books where things just kind of went all over the place. Yep. Okay. So you and I are, are pretty similar than in our Jordan experience because that was pretty much me too. So there we go. Who were some of your other influences? Uh, well, when I was really young, I was really into Stephen King. And um, in fact, the Dark Tower series is something I read a little bit later on. Um, so definitely Stephen King probably influenced my prose more than anybody else. Another person I think that really influenced me was uh, Frank Herbert and uh, his Dune series. Um that was a bit of sci- I kind of kind of consider it science fantasy more than science fiction. Um, and I really, really just liked the world building in Dune and definitely the magic system and the entire concept of the spice and the, the dueling political entities. I mean, it's just such a complex, fantastic world that Herbert built there. Do you think that then that that helped or that that influenced your political system a little bit then with the, with just the dueling, uh, countries and uh, i know they all have the same magic but this the the dueling almost like the white tower black tower if we were to talk about it in robert jordan example yeah um i think the probably my dueling countries is uh, i guess you can probably kind of put that more in the frank herbert kind of area than the robert jordan mm-hmm. um you know frank herbert definitely was very influenced by um the ottoman turkish empire Um, and I definitely have kind of an East versus West kind of theme going in my books. It kind of turns into kind of a North versus South theme, but, um, yeah, you're going to see a lot more of that kind of influence, um, in books to come. I I think you've uh, read the first book of the series, Dark Storm, where you're probably briefly introduced to a more Eastern culture. Yeah. Just briefly in that one, right? Towards the, with the, yeah, with the siege on the city. Yeah, Exactly. Okay. And um, in later books, you get a lot more into that. Okay, yeah, I did kind of actually wonder about that because it can seem kind of like a a throwaway uh, group in the first book. So that's something that's nice to know with the going into the uh, further books that they will be play a bigger role. Yeah, they will definitely. I think um, one thing that you have to understand, too, is um, Darkstorm is my book one, definitely, but it was not written first. Um, Darkstorm's actually. Um, more like a prequel. It happens a thousand years before the rest of the series. And um, it's really the backstory to the entire rest of the Renoir saga. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's something that I was completely unaware of. Yeah, I actually wrote Dark Mage first and uh, kind of went back and wrote Dark Storm just because I really needed that backstory to kind of continue on. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense then because. especially at the beginning where it says you know this all happens a thousand years in the past so you kind of know that that things have to continue on from there 
Yeah, exactly. And honestly, that, that probably does throw off a lot of readers. I've been getting a little bit of an input of people writing me saying, you know, you really should have made this a prequel. And I'm like, you know, maybe I really should have. <laughs> but it's a little too late now. It's already out there. So, And honestly, it is kind of almost required reading to understand the events that are going to be going on later in the series. So I, I, I definitely highly recommend that people do start with it. I looked at your book through because of Spiffbo. I kind of I got into that this year for I don't really know why, but I did. <laughs> and, and I really have enjoyed reading some of the novels. Has that helped your sales at all? Um, it definitely has helped me get my name out there more. I mean, there's a lot of people that I've met um, through Spiffbo that I never would have met without it. Um, and so it, it, it definitely does a lot for just, you know, spreading the word, letting people know I exist. Um, I, I don't think that's the only, you know, reason why, um, you know, I'm out there, but it's definitely a large part of it. Yeah. And do you enjoy the, um, like the self-promotion aspect of things? It seems like you're out there a little bit at least. Um, do I enjoy it? I am an introvert. Oh, well, there you are. (laughs) I I never even owned, um, a Twitter account until two years ago. I think I, I finally, well, okay, hold on. I owned it, but I didn't use it. So I think I opened it in like 2009. It's out there completely useless and just flopping in space until (laughs) two years ago when I found out, oh, I have to market myself. And so I actually started using it and, um, I, I, I guess I learned how to use it rather well because I've built up about 23,000 uh, uh, followers on there. But um, definitely I've learned how to market. It's do- it's not my favorite thing in the world. But I found out that I'm a lot better behind a keyboard than I am in person. And it's actually a, a medium that I'm, I'm, I am I'm kind of enjoy. So <laughs> I, I, I'm kind of happy with it. <laughs> well, that's good. Did you have anything else that you wanted to include about like your your writing process or anything like that? Or do you want to just get into the book? Um, I guess we could talk just briefly about the writing process. I don't know if I write any differently than uh, too many other people. Um, I'm, I'm not a pantser. I definitely like to outline. Um, so I, I make a pretty detailed outline with um, just like a little bit of space for a little bit of wiggle room, just in case my characters decide they want to do something a little different than what I had planned. Um, when I do write, I usually write dialogue first, then I fill it in with narrative, and uh, it kind of goes from there. And uh, my characters do take on a life of their own. Um, occasionally, they rebel and tell me they don't want to do what I want them to do. And uh, when they do, I usually listen to them. So that, that, that can get me into trouble from time to time. But uh, <laughs> normally, I beat them back onto path eventually, but uh, they have taken me some interesting places I had not expected to go. Well, that's cool. I mean, it, it takes on it, its own story within um, with what you're doing then. Yeah, it really does. Um, my, my, my characters are very much individuals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't feel like any of them were, were just cookie cutters. So let's, before I guess we start, I just piecemeal talk about your book. Let's go ahead and just start uh, talking about Dark Storm, because that's the one that I have read, and that's the one that is in Spiffbo this year. So. Sure. I guess the main uh, thing is is that uh, magic is just about to be on the fritz, and so we have a group of mages who aren't willing to let that happen because it could mean their deaths, and then we end up with a small group that is trying to stop them. How did you come up with the uh, with the world and and the political system, and I guess with the the magic polarization change? Okay. Um, well, I think that the magic system kind of just came from my knowledge of 
um, physics and electromagnetism, um, I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if we could have kind of like a planetary magic field instead of just a magnetic field? And um, I kind of tried to apply some of the concepts that you would normally see in a magnetic field to a magic field. And so that actually really kind of created, um, at least in my mind, a pretty cool magic system because you have places where the magic is more powerful or less powerful, where it kind of converges or where it actually is nullified completely. And so that's kind of cool. And there that kind of brought the entire problem into play too because the Earth's magnetic field does do a reversal from time to time. And I thought, hmm, wouldn't it be kind of cataclysmic if my magic field did a reversal from time to time? And that's exactly kind of what happens in Darkstorm. There is going to be a polar reversal of the magic field, which will wipe out all magic and, and all mages and anything ever built by magic. And so that kind of creates, I guess, the stakes for the entire novel right there. Oh, yeah. I mean, okay. we're talking a, a doomsday scenario here for for the people. So I think it's something that, for me, made it so that even though we're talking, like, you use the term dark mage, and we can think of them as evil, it's also understandable that what they're doing, because them, their families, anybody that they know that uses magic is is going to be affected. Yeah, I really, really wanted to create a situation where different people can kind of align themselves at um, different sides of the cause and see value in both sides. Um, I, I really did not want a good versus evil novel. I wanted, I really wanted to show like two different sides of moral ethics is really what I was going for instead of just a straight up good versus evil. And uh, hopefully I succeeded in that. Yeah, well, and <laughs> I, I, one thing I wrote down here in my notes is, is why do you hate your characters? <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, I, I saw that. Yeah, well, I, it feels like to me that in some cases your your villains are almost better people than your uh, your heroes in this novel, and I think that even that is something that helps <laughs> give a a little bit more of a a gray zone to to the events that are happening. Yeah, um, one of the things that I really wanted to accomplish with this whole series, actually, not just Darkstorm, um, the whole series is based on two conflicting ideologies of moral ethics. Um, without kind of getting too in-depth into them, um, most people know one. It's called consequentialism, as the unjustifies the means. And we have those characters on both sides, you know, both the good side and the evil, the evil guys. Um the other side would be what is known as deontology or deontological moral ethics, um, which is kind of like um, if you know anything about philosophy, it was the ethics of Immanuel Kant. And um, this, it's also known as duty ethics. And I wanted characters, again, on both the good guys and the bad guys side that are you know pretty strict into deontology. And then you've got like a whole spectrum of people in between. And so I really wanted to see how that would operate in place of a good versus evil system. And that's kind of what I really tried to set up. So you can really identify on either side of the good or the evil, depending upon just where you saw more value yeah, as a and, reader. Yeah, and I mean, like, Byron Connell was probably my favorite of your characters. And I, I think that he was, because he was so even keeled, even though he should have, you know, I guess technically been a bad guy. He was probably your most, your like more of like a chaotic neutral <laughs> to use the D and D yeah. term that I've used a couple times. But but he was more like almost in that neutral zone, 
except for the, just the side he had chosen. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I see Byron Connell as somebody that I could definitely be friends with. Um, absolutely. I, I think that there's something to be learned that, um, I don't know, the extremists on either side of my equation don't do so very well. It's more the middle of the road guys like Byron that um, I think uh, kind of fare better. Yeah, and one one other question with your your magic system is that you've you've mentioned Robert Jordan. Do you think the Wheel of Time had any influence on like how the society was set up? Because that's kind of something that even before I looked at your bio and saw that you listed Robert Jordan was something that I saw. I mean, I don't feel like you're you're copying him; it's your own. But it just reminded me a little bit of that, like the being split up into categories and then having objects that were imbued with power. Um, I think that Jordan had to have influenced me. Um, there's just no way he couldn't have because he is such, you know, a big influence in my life and in my creative process and definitely somebody I really admire. Um, I, I definitely kind of did what Robert Jordan did was start out in a more familiar fantasy setting, which is the Wren. You know, it's definitely based on, you know, the Western concept of what a fantasy setting should be. Kind of like, you know, the pastoral setting of J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, but then diverge from there, which is kind of what Jordan did too. So definitely that part of the world building might have been Jordan-esque. I, I really liked what he did with the One Power. I definitely tried not to copy the One Power. Um, but I like the way his characters can be so powerful with it. What I wanted to do a little bit different than Jordan, however, is really explore the ethics of using such unrestrained power and you don't really see that as much in uh, dark storm but that really becomes central to the plot and the themes in later and bo- later novels okay and then so dark mage and dark lands then are both set in the main storyline yeah definitely uh, some of the characters from dark storm will actually continue on in the uh in dark mage and subsequent novels too they come back oh okay <laughs> I feel like I'm a little bit of disadvantage because I haven't actually read Dark Mage yet. And That's okay. if I would have quite realized that, that Darkstorm was more of a prequel, then I, I would have read Dark Mage as well. But um, And I don't, it wouldn't have been quite such a, a spoiler for the series as I was thinking it would. I try to, when I'm doing these, only read the first one if that's what I'm going to do so that I don't throw out spoilers for people. You know, I don't mind that spoiler. Um, I, I would really hate for readers to think that, oh, I really love these characters, but they're all, you know, they're all gone <laughs> and they're not going to come back. And I honestly kind of want to put it out there. Well, yeah, some of your favorite characters will be back in later novels. So I, I, I don't mind that being out there. And honestly, I, I'm really afraid that, you know, people are going to think, oh, no, they're all gone <laughs> and not want to read the next one. Um, so I, I, I definitely kind of want it out there that, yeah. Yeah, some of these people will be back, definitely. Where is the series going to go in the future then? Is so is it going to be a trilogy or do you consider Darkstorm to be part of like a, a, the real trilogy or what how far are you going to go? Ah, that's a great question. Um right now I'm going to go ahead and leave Darkstorm in as book 1, although it could probably easily be taken out and just made into a prequel, which um might happen, but um that's still up in the air. Um, right now, I am finishing the next book, which would be book four in the series, and there's going to be one more after that. So the entire series is going to be five books long. Okay, and then so it'll be four books. Will the the four be in the main storyline then? Yes, four in the main storyline and then Dark Storm. Okay, and then did you have a short story as well? 
Yeah, yeah, there actually is a short story that I put out there. Um, I never actually even intended it for publication. Um, <laughs> but uh, Nimrod Daniel, one of the reviewers on Goodreads, um, suggested that I, I actually put it out there. So I did. And um, I, I, I've, actually, some people have actually liked it. So I, um, I left it up. It's um, It happens probably... 20 years or so before um, the main storyline, before Dark Mage. So it's just a little tiny bit. It's a battle scene of a, some of the background characters that are in that novel. It, it, it's pretty exciting. Oh, cool. And do you plan on writing any other short stories within the world? Um, I don't really have any plans for it right now, but I mean, there's definitely some things that I could go back and uh, try to do. Um, one of my favorite characters in the series is Quinn. Um, which you actually get part of his storyline in Darkstorm. Um, Quinn had a pretty interesting past even before we meet him. And I think it would be f- cool sometime just to kind of go back and explore the way he was um, before he got so ruined. <laughs> um, that would definitely be something I would like to try to do. You said that before he got to be ruined. So Quinn, when we start the when we first encounter him is drunk and in just a pile of filth basically and he is you know explained as looking skeletal and gaunt and then he runs into Maris who is a character that I have to admit for about oh five ten percent of the book made me think I do not like her and I don't like her so much that I almost don't like the book. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I mean, w- once, once you get past that first part and she's explained a little bit better then it all just k- clicked into place for me. But there was a little bit of time where I thought, man, she becomes such an awful character. And how did you decide to, to write her? And, you know, I know that her backstory is probably something that, that we don't need to talk too much about without getting spoilery, but how did you decide to write her? Um, I really wanted a character that was a little different. And I kind of briefly touched on how I wanted my characters kind of like to be on a spectrum from one type of moral ethics to another type of moral ethics. I really wanted a character that was completely off that spectrum. So I made a character, Maris, who is... She's got her challenges, and it has really nothing to do with her ethics whatsoever. So that that's kind of Maris's reason for existence. Yeah, and actually, now that I think about it, you do mention that she grew up on the streets basically from almost at the very beginning, as soon as we meet her, correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I try to put some foreshadowing in the beginning so that readers wouldn't be completely um, <laughs> thrown off when um, she does go through some, let's just say, some inconsistent personality changes that get explained later on in the book. Um, I, I, I still get people telling me that they're still thrown off. Um, I, I'm not sure if the foreshadowing was quite enough there, but um, yeah, that's her purpose. Um, she's off the spectrum. She's she's her own creature, definitely. Yeah, yeah and, and I... I was among those who were thrown off. And I mean, <laughs> there, you know, with especially the talk about her being so strong and then her interactions with Quinn, I just sat there and I thought, I, I don't know why you're doing this. And I mean, it all becomes clear later on without getting into, you know, to true spoilers. But there was a, a short period where I was just like, man, she had 
a awesome character here, and all of a sudden, I just can't stand her. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, um, I think it's unfortunate. I really tried hard to not have my readers bond too much with Maris, but I definitely have some readers that do. And I think those readers do end up frustrated when Maris turns out to be a little different than they're expecting her to be. Yeah, no, and... And it, it became absolutely clear to me, you know, once as you as it moved on. But I don't know. I guess I just bonded with her, you know, in a way that you said you hoped that, that people didn't. Mm-hmm. You had such an egalitarian system for the most part. I definitely did have an egalitarian system in one of the two um, nations, but not yeah. both. And I, I did that on purpose to show kind of a, a contrast in the cultures between those two systems. Yeah, and you actually have quite a bit of, of difference between your two cultures for them having the same magic system and basic political system, if you, uh, you know, the way that the structures are. Right. Yeah. Um, again, somewhat intentional. Definitely. I think that's, yeah, the more you read, the more you'll find out. Uh, that's about the most I can say on that one. Yeah. Yep. Um, once again, I'm really trying to show a distinct uh, difference between two cultures. One is more Eastern, at least in our world, Eastern influence, one's Western influence. And there are different takes on good or evil. And I really do a bunch of flip-flops. Um, good characters are going to become what is considered evil. Evil characters are going to become what is considered good. Then we're going to find out our entire concepts of, or, of good and evil are challenged. And um, I, I do this kind of going back and forth and changing perspectives throughout the entire Ren War saga. And um, it, 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 hopefully it'll come to a satisfying conclusion. <laughs> and that's about <laughs> the best I can put it. Yeah. Well, and I really do like the way that you, that you wrote your characters. Like I said, your characters, they're, I mean, some of the ones that are supposed to be good guys are... Brayden is just an awful character, really. I mean, in terms of, he's an awful person, I guess. <laughs> he's not. You didn't, write, you didn't write a bad character. He just, he's, for being, you know, a supposed hero, he's, he's really, he's, he's the kind of person that would have become an inquisitor during the Spanish Inquisition, you know? <laughs> yeah, he probably would have. Um, he's one of those characters that practices what we call duty ethics. And, um, he operates completely within his morals and value system, which is extremely rigid and inflexible. And uh, definitely, I could see him being an inquisitor and going at it wholeheartedly with all of his heart and soul behind that, thinking that he was absolutely right because he was justified by duty. And just saving people's souls. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, do you have any plans for branching out into any other series at the moment? Um, I really don't have any concrete plans at this time. I've got um, I've got a lot of little ideas. Um, I really, really have enjoyed um, doing a lot of the research that I've done for Ren Wars um, that have kind of been more Eastern in focus. So I think that anything I do in the future will probably be more in either a Middle Eastern or um, possibly even an Indian kind of culture society. Um, I... I I'm getting kind of, I guess, how can we put it? I, um, there's so much fantasy that's set in, you know, the Middle Ages, Europe, culture. And I just, I, I kind of want to get away from that, I guess. Well, yeah, that's understandable. The the Indian idea, that's something that I really don't think I've seen too much of in, in uh, fantasy. Yeah, there's really not a lot of it out there. Um, I know Dirk Ashton has Paternus out, definitely. 
And um, there's some other, I can't think of the name of it right now, um, that definitely draws on the Indian culture. Um, I've been actually doing a lot of research in um, ancient India, and I just, I really find it fascinating. And I think I want to kind of delve into that, and especially into the mythology and everything. I, I just, I find it so fascinating. Well, that's cool. And ha- one, just a question. Do you know who S.M. Sterling is by any chance? No, I'm sorry, I do not. You know, <laughs> nobody does, for, it seems like, that I talk to. he. Is, I always call it my guilty pleasure. He, okay. He writes alternate history novels, and he has a series called The Change Series, which is written in, um, like, in, it's set in the northwest of, of the U.S., and it uh so i kind of enjoy like in 1998 all technology stopped and i mean there's some supernatural reasons for it so we basically get thrown into a middle ages but he actually wrote a series another alternate history series that i was just thinking of that uh, a comma actually impacted in um, either north america or in northern europe and so the british empire moved down to india like all of the as many of the people as they could take down there and then okay. that series is written where, like, they've you know completely taken over, and the the uh, the, king, the the Queen of England is is based in uh, India, actually. So I was just thinking oh. of that's just one, just one random one that I was thinking of actually based there. But there aren't too many of them that that are. Yeah, I think that um, you know, it, it's at least where we come from in America, that entire like Asian history didn't really get talked to us very much. Um, I mean, when I was growing up, it really seemed that world history started in Greece <laughs> with Greek mythology. And it kind of just everything before that was almost completely ignored. Um, and just kind of going back and actually visiting what happened in other parts of the world is just it's so, so fascinating and such a huge part of influencing our modern world today. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm so fascinated by it and I'd really like to see a lot more happen, um, that delving into the mythos of other cultures. Definitely. Yeah. I, well, it's just, it's something that as, as you're talking about the, the history began with Greece. I mean, I just got done re re-listing on a podcast, the history of English podcast, some of the, the early history stuff. And, and we get into the different groups and things like that. And there were, you know, quite a few, cultures that were out there and were far more civilized than the Greeks were during that time period that, you know, we just don't ever talk about because, as you said, it's, it's our, our Western, especially for those of us who have a European background, that that's just what you, you were taught in school. Yes, very much so. And, you know, unfortunately, it's, you know, you're leaving out half the world. And probably more than half the world, there's just so much that and development and human culture and society that went on that, um, you know, certainly I was never taught when I went to school. And I actually had to go back and, and educate myself later, since I, would, I wasn't a history major in college, go figure, I kind of wish I had been. Um, so definitely, I'm, I'm kind of drawn to that. Um, you know, just like ancient Nubia, um, all these wonderful societies and kingdoms in Africa, I, I never even knew existed until I was at least in my 30s. Yeah, well, and going back to the saying that you, know, that you weren't a history major, I was a history major, and the only class that I took that wasn't, or that was, you know, based in Africa was actually British missionary work, or was was based off of the British Empire and British missionary work in Africa. So I still was getting it from a European, <laughs> you know, standpoint. Yeah, exactly. 
So I, I think slowly they're, they're, they're trying to rectify that. They're trying to change the curriculum a little bit around, you know, both in high school and in the universities. You know, we're getting there, definitely. But I think we also need to get there with our fantasy writing, too. So I'm kind of trying to push in that direction a little bit. Yeah, and so just um, as we kind of start to wrap this up a little bit, with your um, your publishing experience and and going the um, like the self published route, is that something that that you want to keep doing even if you know you had a the, the publishing thing, or is that something that if you you had the uh, opportunity to sign with someone that you would you think? Well, that would have to depend on the someone. I don't think that I would be interested in signing with a smaller press or possibly even a medium press. Simply because as a self-published author, I, I I can use the money that would normally go to my publisher and I can reinvest it into my own business. I can put it into marketing and uh, better covers, things like that. Um, whereas a publisher, um, at least a smaller press, um, they would be getting a lot of my income and not using it necessarily for marketing and for actually growing my brand name, um, which I really really, I feel like I'm at the point in my career where I need to push that. I really need to be building my brand and getting my name known and getting out there more. Now, if something bigger came along, um, definitely I would be interested. Um, but, um, it would have to be something probably big five. That's about it. Otherwise I love being an indie author. Yeah. And I, I, I've been talking about this with, with most of the, uh, the indie authors that I have done these reviews with, which it actually is, is everybody but CT Phipps so far. And it's just such, it's a, and even he actually <laughs> recommends that, that for most people that they should stay self-publishing and he, you know, he has a, the publishing deal and, and it works for him. But as he said that, you know, for most people at this point, that as long as you're willing to do your marketing, there is absolutely no reason today to, un- unless you're just offered a crazy good deal to, to go the, the, um, away from that. You know, I'm I'm actually gonna um I'm gonna I'm gonna up the stakes here a little bit. I'm gonna actually add that it's actually more risk at this point. We're seeing so many small presses and even medium presses folding up shop. I'm not gonna mention anyone, but even very recently, as of this week, we've yeah. seen a pretty well-known um, press fold. And when when that happens, oftentimes they're taking their author's rights. And they are kind of keeping them and um, they're being held in pending litigation um, because a lot of these presses do owe money and they actually have the rights and authors are not seeing their rights back for years up to like five, sometimes longer years later. And so that's actually a big risk that I personally was not willing to take. Yeah, well, even um, with with talking with C.T. Phipps, that happened to him with his his first novels that... He just got lucky with the, the rules of supervillainy that it was, you know, that wasn't with somebody else at the time, and that. But he had several of his novels that got tied up when a publisher went down, and you know, he just happened to be lucky to have something else. Exactly, and um, to me, that's just that's a risk that's unacceptable for me at this point. Um, I, I really do not want my rights to be held up for, for anything, and I really love being in control. And honestly. I'm enjoying the self-publishing thing. I'm enjoying picking out my covers. I'm enjoying formatting the interior. I'm enjoying the whole process. It's all, you know, it's, it's all part of the love of the hobby, I guess, and, and the business. And um, it, it's just something I'm really into. Yeah, well, and that's awesome. And, you know, the thing is, is that especially with ebooks being the big thing, 
I I never look to see what the you know who who the name for the publisher is unless I'm trying to find a, a copy of a book somehow you know <laughs> there otherwise yeah. it, it's just not a thing anymore and I don't think anybody you know I mean unless you're an old purist that you, that you care no I, I I don't think so I think that um you know people know what they're kind of looking for when they go on Amazon. And um, I think that we're finding a lot of the indie authors just as fiercely competitive, oftentimes, at least in the Amazon marketplace, as traditionally published authors. Um, now, if you get out into like the bookstores, brick and mortar, it's a different story. Um, but at least on Amazon and in the indie world, definitely, we're, we're, we're competitive. We're out there. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, and and even the br- brick and mortar thing, that <laughs> I I live about 30 miles from, from Boise. And okay. that's where the closest um, new bookstore is to me. So I'm not going to drive 45 minutes with traffic to go find a, to buy a book. No, you're not. And it's not your typical traditionally published book that um, is really seeing that much success. It's the ones that end up, for instance, um, in a... Um, in Walmart and targets and um, you know, not a lot of books actually have the opportunity to be there. Um, those are the ones that are really going to sell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some of the ones though that are the best sellers at like Walmart or something like that there uh, we're, I mean, we're clearly not talking about a good fantasy series though. No, no, we're not. <laughs> we'll see JK Rowling there. That's about it. Yeah. All right, so um, do you have anything else that you would like to talk about before we uh, get all of your uh, places that we can be reached at? Um, just I, I, I hope that everybody has a chance to um, um, at least read uh, Darkstorm, um, and I invite anybody to continue reading. Um, like I said earlier, characters will come back. And um, I think that uh, a lot of the themes are kind of pursued throughout the whole series. And I, I just hope that people um, just like the series. You know, I, I do what I, I do because I love my characters. I love my themes and I love my world. And I just I really hope that um, people will find, uh, you know, what they like there, too. So that's that's really about all I have to say. Where can you be reached? I can be reached. Um, I can be reached on Facebook under ML Spencer. Uh, author i can be reached on twitter at at ml spencer one and i have my website which is ml com. awesome and then i will include those places in the show notes when we um, have the episode out thank you so much for coming on the podcast tonight i really appreciate it and i had a great time thank you i i really appreciate you inviting me i had a great time too and i, I really appreciate and love the questions Thanks.